0: what is money why is it used which type of money is best and why the best in bitcoin made audible i am guy swan and this is bitcoin audible What is up guys? Welcome back to Bitcoin Audible. This is Guy Swan. I am the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. This is where you're going to learn everything there is to know about Bitcoin. We cover literally every major work, written uh, written piece, article, blog post, research paper, you name it. We cover it on this show uh, about Bitcoin from all of the different uh, disciplines and angles that one can actually understand what this crazy thing is. Um, And uh, I'm in the middle of a really, really great report by Greg Foss on why every fixed-income investor needs to consider Bitcoin for their uh, portfolio strategy. Or as portfolio insurance, excuse me. Um, But uh, it's really good, but it is long. It's dense. So um, I have not been able to finish And I've just been kind of sad that I haven't been able to get an episode out. And I was just thinking, um, one of the latest audiobooks that I did, I'm working on, or I'm finishing one up right now, actually. But one of the latest ones was titled The Seventh Property by Eric Yakes. And it's a really good book on money and just really kind of getting at heart, at the heart of all of the things, all of the characteristics that we understand about money and proposing, in a sense... Um, a seventh property that there is another characteristics another char- characteristic by which we can weigh what makes a good money, and that Bitcoin is one of those things the one of those evolutions of money that will enlighten why exactly that is. So I'm actually going. I can't post the whole book because you know it's I don't have the copyright to it. It's my book, but uh, I did want to just drop chapter one. Uh, just so you can get an idea, and he lays out a lot of the major things, and the book is just really fascinating. So if you're interested in actually doing it, uh, I'll grabbing that book, I will have the link in the show notes for uh, both the physical book and or the audio book. But this will be chapter one of the book titled The Dimensions of Money, and we will jump in in just a minute. Really quick, I just want to thank our amazing sponsors to this show, Uh, The Fold card, the debit card that gets you sats back on everything in life. The Bitbox hardware wallet to keep your Bitcoin safe and to own it, to have it in your possession. Um, The Bitcoin 2022 conference coming up, I mean, crazy right around the corner. Don't forget to get your tickets. And then, of course, Swan Bitcoin for stacking sats. Stack automatically, withdraw automatically, and there is no easier way to grow your Bitcoin stack. Check them all out. Referral links and uh, discounts available right in the show notes. With that, let's jump into the foundational chapter of Eric Yake's book, The Seventh Property. And it's titled, Chapter One, The Dimensions of Money. What is money? Why is it used? Which type of money is best and why? Who decides this for us? Is there a way to understand money at a fundamental level so that we can choose for ourselves? What does it mean when people say money needs to be backed by something? These are important questions that can be expensive to neglect. Money is confusing because it crosses multiple dimensions. Some of these dimensions you have probably heard of, but I have not seen them summarized holistically. Figure 1 is that summary, although it will require some explanation. Briefly study it and move forward with the structure in mind. By the end of this chapter, you will have a mental framework to assess money and determine its merit for yourself. Figure 1 is a graphic of the dimensions of money along with the various characteristics and roles fulfilled by each. You can find figure one on the PDF attached to this audiobook. The Purpose of Money If people could create whatever they wanted whenever they wanted it, there would be no need for trade in a society. But this is not yet possible. Long ago, people realized that specializing in a type of production and trading it for their other needs allowed them to consume more than they could otherwise. This is why specialties are called trades. Trade facilitates specialization, which facilitates more efficient means of production and ultimately greater consumption. Before money, people traded goods through a barter system in which one good was exchanged for another. This system works in small groups, but becomes more challenging in larger groups, requiring a coincidence of interests, meaning one must have the good desired in the right amount, in the right location, and at the right time, and that another party desires, and vice versa. Systems of barter were more prevalent when individuals were organized in small groups, for example, hunter-gatherer tribes primarily during the prehistory era of humanity. As groups grew larger, those which utilized forms of money to facilitate transactions and store wealth were able to become more specialized in their productive capacities, allowing more sophisticated forms of organization to emerge and living standards to rise. The purpose of money is to facilitate trade, which allows groups to specialize and organize with greater complexity. Defining Money Barter systems are forms of direct trade, while monetary systems are forms of indirect trade. Goods used in indirect trade are naturally converged upon, i.e. chosen freely through iterations of trade, because they have properties that most people want most often. Goods that maintain these properties are desired because they are most likely to present a coincidence of interest with other parties. In this sense, money enables a system of indirect exchange. Karl Menger in The Origins of Money Defined the relative ability for a good to be sold in a given market at a time and price desired as a good's salability. Market participants converge upon the most salable commodity over time through many transactions. Consider a producer of apples and a producer of decorative pots. A producer of apples is more likely to have buyers than a producer of decorative pots, but both producers still need to exchange their goods consistently for goods they need. The apple merchant will exchange as many apples as possible for the goods he currently desires. Then, knowing his remaining apples will soon rot, he might attempt to exchange them at a discount with the pots merchant. He does so with the knowledge that he can exchange these pots at a later date as they are more valuable across time. Conversely, the pots merchant might have exchanged his pots for the number of apples he will eat before they rot, but then exchange his remaining pots to a salt merchant at a discount because he knows salt is more widely accepted than pots. The apples merchant is exchanging his surplus to hold its value over time, while the pots merchant is exchanging his surplus for a more widely accepted good. Merchants will continue this process and naturally converge upon a commodity that is most widely accepted and best maintains value over time to protect themselves from depending on any coincidence of interests in the future. Whichever good is converged upon will eventually be considered money." Buyers and sellers in the market will acquire money not for its inherent utility, but instead for the certainty they can use it to acquire what they desire in the future. Consider this concept from another perspective. Menger described the most saleable good as that which has the lowest rate of declining marginal utility. A good with high-declining marginal utility could be a house, as you only need one, and each incremental house purchased provides much less benefit than the initial house purchased. A good with medium-declining marginal utility could be electricity. The first unit to the nth provides similar utility up until you've powered everything you need. A good with low declining marginal utility is one in which each consecutive unit consumed provides nearly equal benefit to the prior unit. Whatever good this is will naturally become money and therefore the most saleable. Money is the good that you can't get enough of. Figure 2 shows a chart visualizing the difference between goods with high or low declining marginal utility. You can find Figure 2 on the attached PDF. We've now defined the first aspect of our monetary dimensions table. Most saleable good, that which has the lowest rate of declining marginal utility, will be chosen to facilitate indirect trade. Seifedin Amus precisely defines a good's salability across three dimensions, which solve three different types of coincidence. 1. Salability across time. Ability to hold value over time, removing the coincidence of timing. Pots are relatively better than apples for this purpose. 2. Salability across space. Ability to be easily transported, removing the coincidence of location. Digital money is relatively better than physical money for this purpose. And three, saleability across scales. Ability to be easily grouped and divided, removing the coincidence of amount. Water is relatively better than a house for this purpose. You can find Figure 4 on the attached PDF showing the dimensions of saleability. In a free market, the most saleable good will be chosen as money. Saleability can be broken into three dimensions – time, space, and scales. Defining Monetary Value Thus far, we've discussed how a good maintains monetary value. This is not to be confused with a good's market value. Think of this as a good's utility for trade versus its utility for consumption. Market value is derived from a good's consumption value, while monetary value is derived from a good's monetary properties. Consider an example where you want to sell your car and you find two people interested in buying it. One person, Jim, has always wanted this type of car and offers $20,000. The other person, Joe, is a car dealer and offers you $15,000. Jim is paying you more because he wants to use the car, while Joe is paying you less because he plans to turn around and trade it to someone else for $20,000. Therefore, your car's utility for trade is valued at $15,000, while its utility for consumption is valued at $20,000. The good that has equal trade and consumption value is money. Nobody will trade you a discount for money because it is the most tradable good. Thus, monetary value is distinguished from market value as it reduces the implicit economic cost of trade. $20,000 $15,000. The market value of a good exists without a monetary medium. A monetary medium cannot exist without underlying goods and services that have market value. In this sense, a monetary good obtains its value by enabling the trade of goods which have market value and need to be exchanged across space, time, and scales. The better the form of money used, the lower the cost of transacting and the greater the ability to transfer, store, and measure wealth. The monetary value of a good ...is obtained by its ability to enable trade... ...and is completely separate from the goods market value for consumption. How people choose money. All right, let's take a quick pause right there and hit our sponsor for today... ...and we will jump back in. Man, you mofos better be coming to Bitcoin 2022. I am stoked. This is going to be a hell of a year uh uh Kelly says he's got some other announcement um I said in the other the other episode that is an announcement that an announcement is on the way uh if you go to bitcoin twenty twenty two you will be there and you will see it. there're literally gonna be like thirty thousand or some crazy number of bitcoiners there um there's going to be a huge music festival uh they've got the whale pass for all you crazy rich people who want to you know meet all the celebrities and Uh, VCs and all that crap. My only regret actually is not going to that last year because I could have met Ron Paul and I didn't realize it. I was very sad. But I am stoked about this year and I'm going to take as much advantage of it as I can. And whatever it is that you want to attend at Bitcoin 2022, you can get 10% off your ticket price with code GUYSWAN and you are also helping out this show. Again, that is 10% off with code Swan. Get your tickets before they go up in price again, and I'll catch you guys in April. Now, let's jump back in. How people choose money. People commonly think of something as valuable if it can be utilized in some form of consumption. In other words, you can eat it, wear it, live in it, etc. However, money is not something that needs to be consumed to have value. This doesn't mean money can't also have consumption utility, and in fact it did for most of history until paper was adopted. Paper money was never naturally chosen as money. It was enforced. Before money was enforced, participants in a market chose their form of money by its utility for the purpose of trade. In a free market, the good most sought through indirect exchange will become the medium of exchange, or monetary medium or money, over time. This is how organized groups eventually began using precious metals, which had little consumption utility at the time because they had relatively better properties to facilitate trade. The process of convergence increases exponentially due to network effects. As more market participants use a common medium, it becomes increasingly likely that other participants will use it. This effect can be seen today in the growth of social media platforms, with individuals naturally converging upon a few platforms despite the fact that many of them exist with relatively homogeneous functionality. Similarly, societies converge upon a monetary medium, assuming no barriers exist, because it is more beneficial to an individual to transact in a money which he or she knows is going to be the most widely accepted. However, this assumes that there are no barriers to usage. For example, country-specific currencies are used because of government enforcement. Looking back in history, we see that multiple metals were used for coins within a country. Looking back farther, People converged upon many different goods before the world was integrated, and societies were simply not aware of each other's currencies. These barriers were either the product of information opacity, sovereign coercion, or monetary utility trade-offs. Information opacity has been reduced to a great extent by the Internet, but sovereign coercion still exists. And as a consequence, most people aren't aware of any monetary utility trade-offs because we don't choose our money. If money were not forced upon us, society would have to choose between different trade-offs of different monetary mediums in a market environment. Trade-offs do exist, and I am not aware of private alternatives that have found a way to traverse across them. More on this later. Similarly, we maintain a variety of different social networks because they specialize in various trade-offs. You can't have a social network that is both professional and candid, so we have created separate networks for each. The benefit of these various trade-offs is the competitive environment that results, protecting us from natural monopolies. If the world could choose its money, I believe similar principles would apply. In a perfect world, there would be one form of money. In the real world, there are many. Once a monetary medium achieves the critical mass necessary to reach wide acceptance, participants will begin to use it as a unit of account. That is, as a common form of price measurement for all goods and services within a market. This function is more relevant as a market becomes large and pricing in a common unit Reduces the complexity of economic comparison. As a society grows, the process of exchange becomes more complex as people become more specialized in producing goods and services. A greater need emerges to efficiently exchange over longer periods of time and greater distances. Stated differently, the more people specialize, the greater the need for trade the greater the implicit cost of trade, and the greater the value maintained from trading most efficiently. Further, barter transactions, direct exchanges, do not scale well due to the exponential complexity of pricing. If n is the number of products, then n squared is the number of prices that must exist. That is a lot of prices, and people would spend a lot of time trying to compare them. Money is beneficial because it acts as a common unit of account to decrease this complexity. If there are in products, then there are in prices. The existence of a common unit of account allows for more complex economic assessment, increasing the transparency of information, reducing price arbitrage, and ultimately, creating a more efficient market. The evolution of a good's transition to becoming a monetary medium can be roughly summarized as follows. First, it must have properties that store value, in that one can reasonably assume its market demand will not deteriorate over time. As more market participants realize a certain good stores value, they can then exchange it between themselves for this property even though it may not be widely accepted yet. As more of this exchange occurs, the knowledge of it being widely accepted becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, and its use as a medium of exchange becomes more frequent. Once it is accepted at a large enough scale as a medium of exchange, participants using it as a medium will begin to commonly quote the prices of their goods and services in amounts of the good, until finally, it becomes a common unit of account. The three functions of money. 1. Store of value. It maintains its value over time. 2. Medium of exchange. It is used in indirect exchange for the purpose of exchanging it again, rather than consuming it. And 3. Unit of account is used as a common unit of measurement to determine the market value of goods and services. Figure five shows a diagram of the various functions of money. You can find it on the attached PDF. Market participants naturally converge upon a good as a monetary medium that best stores wealth through time, is most widely accepted across space, and is adopted as a unit of account. The Six Properties of Money The monetary medium chosen by societies has differed by availability and evolved as new materials and technology emerged which better fulfill the properties sought in a monetary medium. What is consistent across history is that goods chosen as money have maintained certain properties that enable monetary functionality. There are six monetary properties that determine a good's merit for fulfilling the desired functionality as money. 1. Scarcity is limited in its supply relative to other goods. 2. Durability can be used repeatedly without losing its functionality. 3. Acceptability it is used by others and thus accepted widely in a group. 4. Portability Capable of being moved across distances. 5. Divisibility Can be divided into smaller units of value. and 6. Fungibility One unit is viewed as exactly the same as and thus interchangeable with another unit. Figure 6 on the attached PDF will show you the relationship between the various functions and the properties of money that relate to them. Let's quickly expand on the property of scarcity, as it is arguably the most important property of money. For goods with low declining marginal utility, a scarce good is one that has a limited increase in supply. The rate of increase of supply is more important than the initial supply. Consider the example of the stock of a company. When a company issues stock, the initial number of shares is arbitrary. If the total amount of stock is worth $100 and they issue 100 shares, then each stock is worth $1. If they decided to issue 200 shares, then the stock price would simply be 50 cents, and no value is lost or gained. However, if the company issued 100 shares and then a year later decided to issue 100 more, all the existing stockholders would have their stock value diluted by 50%. The amount of money at its inception does not matter, but the change in the supply of money over time is important. For this reason, people have sought money that was hard to make, Gold dominated as a monetary medium for millennia because its supply increased only very gradually. The supply of gold increases on average between one5 and 2.5% annually, so people are certain the supply won't drastically increase, causing prices to drastically rise and reduce their purchasing power. However, the money supply of government increases much more rapidly a tragedy that devalues the existing money within the system. Any good that has these six properties could be money. Goods that excel across all properties are most likely to be naturally chosen as money. Money does not need to be, quote, backed by anything. It needs to have these properties. Gold was chosen because it had these properties, while paper money does not. Thus, paper money needed to be backed by gold so that it could maintain monetary properties while also being more efficient for use in trade. This is where the term backed comes from and it was only necessary because enforced paper money needed to be backed by something that actually had monetary properties. When people say that money is backed by the government it means nothing. Actually, it means less than nothing, but I will explain this in a later chapter. Money across all dimensions. Let's recap the dimensions of money and how they can be used to conceive whether or not a good will be converged upon as a monetary medium. For a good to become money in a free market, it must be the most saleable good. Saleability can be thought of in three dimensions, time, time, space, and scale. A good must excel in certain properties to be considered saleable in a respective dimension. For example, if a good is the most saleable across time, then it will be the best store of value. If a good is the most saleable across space, then it will be the best medium of exchange. If a good is the most saleable across scale, it will be the best unit of account some goods can be highly saleable in one dimension while not at all in another. The good that is the most saleable across all three will eventually become money through the process of convergence. Spend time analyzing figure 7 to grasp this theory. You will find it on the attached PDF. Conclusion Money emerged as a solution to complex trade within barter systems. Goods that emerge as money maintain properties that create monetary value, not to be confused with market value for consumption. Money is defined as the most saleable good across the dimension of time, space, and scales. There are six defined properties that enable money to serve its function in those dimensions. Money's function is to be a store of value across time, a medium of exchange across space, and a unit of account across scales. Money does not need to be backed by anything. Money needs to have these properties. Anything that does not have these properties is not money and needs to be backed by something that does. We now have an understanding of money at a fundamental level it will enable us to compare and contrast its varying forms throughout history. However, this understanding is only true under the assumption that individuals are free to choose money. In a free society without information asymmetries, constituents should naturally utilize a common medium of exchange through adoption motivated by its merit. However, as our monetary systems have been monopolized, We lack perfect information and are subject to moral hazard by the agents who define our money. Societies subject to a fiat monetary system are transacting in a monetary medium that benefits the agents of the system at the cost of the participants, most of whom assume the agents to be acting in good faith. Fiat money means money by decree and not by merit. In the next two chapters, we will review the evolution of money to illuminate just how these problems emerged. And that wraps up the first chapter of The Seventh Property by Eric Yakes. And I thought that was just a a really good foundation on the ideas of money. And I really enjoyed this book because of how much he went in into all of this and how much it expands on all of these things. Because, you know, I talk so much about money on this show, but I kind of feel like I've tended to just pass over the six characteristics of money. And it's actually been a quite a long while, I feel like, since I really dove deep into those concepts on the show or those characteristics. Um, and it's good to revisit. It's good to revisit. I thought this was a great opening chapter for exactly that. Plus, the seventh property idea that because of bitcoin we are able to learn or it's it's easier to see that there was another major factor that there was a seventh property that has played a role in monetary history that was just super intriguing to me as an idea and that's really what got me hooked on this book when i first heard about it but obviously i did the audiobook for said book You can find it on audible.com or Amazon, or if you're the type that really wants to sit down and actually read it, or you're like me and you just have to have one for your collection, you can grab a physical copy as well. Links to all that will be in the show notes, uh, and of course discounts and links to our sponsors as well. And those are the Bitcoin 2022 conference put on by the incredible team at Bitcoin Magazine, the BitBox hardware wallet to keep your keys safe, the Fold Card, and app for sats back on your life and the best place to buy Bitcoin, swanbitcoin.com. I'm going to keep working through Greg Foss's piece on uh, the fixed, fixed income investor and why Bitcoin is portfolio insurance and hopefully, hopefully it will be done very soon. Uh, it is going to be awesome for all of you finance nerds out there. And then generally for, you know, everyone who wants to feel bullish as fuck about Bitcoin. <laughs> um, that is why uh, we are here. Uh, thank you guys for subscribing. Thank you guys for listening. With that, I am out, my fellow FOMO-sexuals. I will catch you on the next episode of Bitcoin Audible. And until then, take it easy, guys. Have been listening to Bitcoin Audible, a 111 production. This podcast is a part of the C Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.